questions, take your copy of God's Word this morning, and let's go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, where we were at last week. I was telling the Bible study class I was uh, working in the Gospel of John on my own, and I thought, what well, are so much good stuff in chapter 5? We're going to go back there again today. So, chapter 5, verse 17, this morning. And I want us to think for a few minutes together about the deity of Christ. You remember last week, if you were here, and uh, good to have you here with us this morning, and those who have joined us online, thank you for being with us. Remember last week in the early part of this chapter, we, we saw where Jesus was uh, in Jerusalem, and he was by the sheep gate, and around the pool there uh, was a multitude of people who were sick. And, then, and uh, Jesus went by there, and there was a man who had been there for 38 years, he was lame, and, and Jesus healed him and uh, performed this tremendous act of mercy and grace and, and certainly a demonstration of his power as God. He told the man to get up, and the man got up, and he told the man, take your bed and go home. And his bed was just a mat that he had been sitting on. Um, but it caused quite a stir in Jerusalem among the religious leaders because it was a Sabbath day. And the religious leaders were upset with Jesus for uh, not only healing the man, but for telling him to get up and carry his mat. Because under the traditions, uh, not under the law of Moses, but under their traditions, it was illegal for him to carry his mat on the Sabbath day and take it home. And if you look back up at verse 16, uh, John tells us, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So let that sink in for a moment. The Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, wanted to kill Jesus for healing a man who had been lame for 38 years and for telling him to take his mat home. That's, that's where uh, religion in that day had come to, uh, the traditions and the laws, uh, legalism. And so in response to that, uh, I love it, I, and that's why we're going to look at it this morning. Jesus didn't uh, back down or, or apologize for doing what he did and doing what he was doing. In fact, Jesus went on to say, well, you know, I have a right to do everything that I've done. Matter of fact, I have a right to do it because I'm God. I have a right to work on the Sabbath day because the Father works on the Sabbath day, so I work on the Sabbath day because He and I are one. What do you think the religious response to that was? Their heads exploded, okay? They, 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 you'll see it in a moment. But Jesus basically says to them, uh, you're missing the whole thing because I'm God. Jesus declared his deity, and he declared it in three ways that we're going to look at very quickly this morning. Number one, Jesus declared his deity and that he's equal in nature with God the Father. Equal in nature with God the Father. Number two, he declared his deity and that he's equal in power with God the Father. And then he declared his deity and that he's equal in authority with God the Father. So he covered all the bases. He's equal in nature with God the Father. Why? Because Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the Trinity. He's equal in power with God the Father because he's the creator God. Jesus is the one who created and he's equal in authority as God. Jesus has all authority. So notice what Jesus said to them beginning in verse 17. He said, I am equal with the Father by nature. But Jesus answered them. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now, again, let me say a word about the Sabbath day and why it was such a big deal and why it was such a big deal to the Jews of that day. 
you know the creation account in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. After Jesus created in six days, he rested on the seventh day. And by the way, I believe in six literal days of creation, not periods of time or, or trying to conform it to match with evolution. But the fact is God created in six literal days and on the seventh day rested. Now, God did not rest because he was tired. God didn't rest because it just wore him out in you know, creating the universe. In fact, creating is no big deal for God because if you read the account, he simply spoke it and it happened. There's power in his word. So God didn't create a Sabbath day or a day of rest for him. He did it as a pattern for us. And so he rested on the seventh day. And then, of course, when Moses, when Israel came out of Egypt and they went in the wilderness and God gave them the law, God said, hey, on, this, on the seventh day, we're going to make that day hallowed. We're going to set it apart. And you're going to rest. The animals are going to rest. You're going to rest. And you're going to worship. You're going to come and, and worship me. And basically, it was for them. It was for us that God created this uh, day of rest. But what had happened? Over time, as, as sinful men are wont to do, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, began to create their own rules, and they began to create traditions. And what they, they intended to do in the beginning was probably a good intention. They began to create rules to make sure nobody broke the law, and so they would put rules on top of the law to protect people from even getting close to breaking the law. But what happened is those traditions and those rules became codified and they became law. And in many cases, listen, Jesus told them, your laws and your traditions have superseded the very law of God. And you have broken God's laws with your laws. And that was the case here. It was in their eyes <clears throat> illegal, was an infraction of the law of the Sabbath day for the man to pick up his mat and carry it home. It was in their eyes a breaking of the Sabbath for Jesus to exercise his authority and, and, and perform a miracle of healing in this man's life. Now, another thing to note here, they weren't just angry with Jesus about this one instance. Jesus did a lot of miracles on the Sabbath day. Now, Jesus could have did miracles any other day of the week, but he did them on the Sabbath too. Why do you think he did that? As, to make a point, okay? He healed withered hands of man on the Sabbath day. He did all kinds of miracles on the Sabbath day. And so they are... They were angry with Jesus and, and offended. Now, Jesus' defense, if you will, he says to them, my father works, and so I work. Now, what's he saying there? Number one, he's saying the father and I are equal, which they get it, trust me. But he also said, look, God the father works on the Sabbath. He, he's working. In fact, Jesus could have said, all of them priests in there are working on the Sabbath. They're slaying animals and giving sacrifices. They're working on the Sabbath. Why? Because they're doing good and they're ministering. And he said, God the Father works on the Sabbath. What does God do on the Sabbath day? Well, he keeps the universe running, doesn't he? I mean, the, the planets are still spinning and the, the sun's still shining and he's, he's holding his universe in his hand and he's making it function. What other kind of things does God do on the Sabbath day if we were just Jewish and, boy, we can't do anything on the Sabbath day. Well, God the Father sustains life on the Sabbath day, doesn't he? Not only does he sustain life, but he begets life. Last time I checked, women have babies on the Sabbath day. Can't really stop that, can you? 
God begets life. He sustains life. How about God's grace and mercy? Is it still working on the Sabbath day? Amen. Well, I'm glad it is. I'm glad God doesn't stop His grace and mercy on the Sabbath day. Well, I'm going to take a day off. You're on your own. No, God's, God's actively ministering to the world and caring for us on the Sabbath day. He grants mercy and grace every day of the week, every moment of the day. And so Jesus said, boy, as my father's working, I'm doing the same thing. I'm ministering in grace. I'm healing and working. You know what Jesus said here for you, for you Bible scholars, and I know many of you here are, um, one of the joys of ministering here is you all like the Bible, and I like the Bible too. But let me tell you, there's a doctrine called deism. You ever heard of that? Deism says that God created, and it's kind of like God wound up the universe like a clock, and he set it in motion, and he backed away, and he left it on his own. Well, that's a false doctrine. You know why? Because Jesus just said right here, my father's working, and I'm working. Here's what it means. God is active in his universe. God Hey, here's what it means for you personally and for me personally. God is active in our lives every day. God is active in our lives. He's active in his grace to us. He's active in his mercy to us. He's active in his care for us. If you're a born-again child of God, if you've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, you're his child. He's your heavenly father. He is intimately involved in your life. You know, the tragedy uh, this past week um, in Texas... uh, Uvalde, Texas, this man, young man went in there and took the lives of children and teachers. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. I read a thing this week. I was reading and reading people's comments about it. And as always happens, somebody goes, where was God? Why? You know, a tragedy happens and the first person they got to blame is God. I'm like, man. But, the, you know, as typical, I knew it was coming. Where's God? You know, well, if God's there, why, why didn't God do something about this? Let me tell you something. And I hope that person somehow comes across this. God was there. God's fully aware. And I guarantee you, it breaks God's heart. But understand this. God is not the author of sin. God is not the author of wickedness. We are. God doesn't perpetuate wickedness. We do. You want to know why an 18-year-old would go into a school and kill a bunch of children? Because we have failed that generation. That's why. We can lay that right at our feet. Man, I was thinking this week, I better not get too far on this, but I can't help myself. We let our kids play video games for 10 hours a day where slaughter and and killing is, is lifelike and rampant and it desensitizes them to the value of life. And they think they can go out and do the same things in life that they do in these video games and these things that they participate in. Not to mention the fact that we fail them and that we have parents in a generation who have forsaken God, and so we didn't teach our children about God, and they have no value for the sanctity of life. That's how an 18-year-old does that. What kind of mental state and emotional state does a person have to be in to go in and kill a bunch of children? I tell you what's happening. We have forsaken God, and God is turning us over to our sin. That's what he's doing. He's turning us over to the consequences of us forsaking him. The answer to these problems is Jesus Christ. 
in the world can't see it because they're blind in their own sin. The point is this. Jesus said, God the Father is active in the world, and God is active. People want to know what God's done about situations like that, and what has God done? He's already done everything. He sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay for those sins. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done about sin in the world. The problem is, much like these religious leaders in Jesus' day, society is not paying attention. And they're not listening. And they're not looking to God for the answers. I've said this before, and you know it to be true. If our leadership in this nation would confess their own sins and get on their face before God and ask for his help, God would make a difference in this nation. But we're too busy trying to figure out ways to do what God told us not to do. And we're too busy trying to figure out ways to do life our way. And this is what happens when you do life our way. Now, I know you know that, and I'm not beating you up, but it feels good to say it, okay? People need to pay attention. And Jesus said to the people of his day, the Father's working, and since he and I are one, I'm working as well. He said, just as the Father works, we are equal. And Jesus was saying, I am God. Now you say, did the Jews understand it that way? Oh, didn't they? Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. I've actually heard people say, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. I said, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> I mean, it's a, right here, the Jews didn't have any problem understanding what he was saying. He said, my father works and so I'm working. And they got it. In other words, I do what the father does because we're the same. And the Jews hated him the more for it. They were offended by him. The one whom they should have worshipped and adored, they were offended by him. The one who is and was their Messiah, they were offended by him. The world is offended by Jesus today. In our nation, God forgive us, we are offended by Jesus. Nobody wants to say Jesus' name on TV. Nobody wants to get in a speech and say the name of Jesus. Nobody wants to talk publicly about God and all of his greatness. Why? Because people are ashamed and they're offended by him. Nobody who gets up and talks to college graduates and gives, gives these graduation commencement speeches want to tell those young people, look to Jesus in your life. Forsake sin and, and, and worship God. Nobody wants to say that. Why? Because they're offended by Jesus. And somebody in the crowd will be offended and somebody will get mad. Let them get mad. Amen. Let them get upset. You know, one of these days they got to stand in front of that Jesus that they're ashamed of. And so do we, by the way. So these Jewish leaders were offended at Jesus for declaring his deity. I pray today, if you're watching online or you're here, don't be offended at Jesus because he loves you. And again, he holds the universe in his hand. He holds your life in his hands. He is God. Now, not only is Jesus equal with the Father by nature, but he's equal with the Father uh, in power. Look at verses 19 to 21. <clears throat> then Jesus answered and said to them, by the way, stop right there for a minute. 
Can you imagine in your mind just a minute this conversation? I mean, think about it. These religious leaders have confronted Jesus there in Jerusalem, and they're, they're mad at him for, and, and the guy toting the mat. They want to kill both of them. And Jesus begins laying this stuff on them. I mean, I, can, you, can you imagine the, the looks? Don't you wish you had a video? The looks on their faces and, their, and, the, and the demeanor of them. Jesus is slaying them here. I mean, man, he is, he's just laying the truth on them. And now he's really going to get them. Look, again, look at verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son does also does in like manner. In other words, whatever God the Father does, I can do. Whatever God the Father does, I'm doing it. They're all dying. Their heads are exploding right here. They're, they're out of fit. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Now look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Well, that's powerful. Jesus told them basically three things right here concerning his power being equal with that of the Father. He said, number one, the Father's power and mine is the same. It's the same because I am God. In other words, just as he works and the things he does, I do that. And he, and he goes on to say him, he says, look, God has revealed to the Son, secondly, the plan. I know what God's doing because I'm God, because I'm in the Trinity. They had a problem with that. Jesus said, the Father has revealed to me we are in complete agreement. You see, in eternity past before the world was ever created, God planned salvation for you and me. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, expressed in three persons, we're all in complete agreement. In fact, think about this. This is heavy-duty stuff. Before there was anything, before there were angels or cherubim or seraphim, before there was anything, there was God. Now, I don't know how far back that goes. I don't, my brain, you know, your brain, you get the little error flag in your mind when you start trying to think. Of, you know, I, that's an error. I don't, I don't understand that. The point is, before there was anything, I mean, before there was anything, there was God. And you think, well, you know, that must have been kind of lonely. No, not at all. Perfect harmony, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect fellowship, perfect existence, forever, forever and ever and ever, eternity, because he's God. And then God and his deity and the Trinity decided to create. And man, can he create. I mean, we were talking about this yesterday, the beauty of this earth is unbelievable in some places when you look at it and it's tainted by sin. Think of how beautiful heaven's going to be. Think of how wonderful the creation of God is in its perfection when it's not touched by sin. Jesus is saying here, I know the plan because I was there when it was laid. I know what was going to happen because I was there to make the plan. Now these guys are really dying. Now they're really, because Jesus is saying, I'm eternally God, just like the Father. And then, and then he said, you think you've seen some things. You think this healing of a lame man, you think the healing of the blind and the, and the leper and the, and the withered hand, he said, you think that's impressive. Man, there's greater works to come. He said, you haven't, you haven't seen anything yet. Man, we could just start right there. Jesus said, I'm going to die. And I'm going to pay for the sin of the whole world because I'm the only one that can. And in three days, I'm coming out of the grave. And, and I'm going to have victory over sin and death and the grave. 
and I'm going back to heaven and sit on the throne where I came from to start with. And the church age is coming, and I'm going to save people from all over the world for 2,000 plus years. You have no idea what I'm going to do. And then one day, Jesus coming back, set up his kingdom, set up righteousness, new heaven, new earth, and all of eternity. Jesus said, oh, you hadn't seen power yet. You think you've seen some things, but no, the power of the Father is my power because we're one, we're God. And then Jesus hit it in probably the most outwardly evident prerogative of deity is life. Jesus told them, he said, just as the Father gives life, so I give life. Just as the Father creates, so I create. Just as the Father takes life, so I can take life. You know, there are two kinds of life. There's physical life, and God created all physical life. God created the first man and woman. That drives secular humanists crazy, but you can't change the truth because the truth is the truth. God created us. God gives life. Do you know three times in the ministry of Jesus he raised the dead? Think about that for a minute. Jesus told them plainly right here, I'm God. And if they would have said to him, prove it, what other proof do you need than the fact that he can command a dead person back to life? Only God can do that. The widow of Nain, remember? Jesus comes by. See, this is, this is how God is. Loving and kind and powerful. Jesus passing by. Here's a widow and her only son's dead and they're toting him out on the, on the stretcher. Wasn't a stretcher, but you know, you got it. Right? They're toting him out. Now, why is that such a sad situation? Because in that day, a widow's got nobody. And if that boy's dead, now she really has nobody to take care of her, right? So what does Jesus do? Tells the guy to get up. Now listen, if you're God, you can do that. And guess what? He got up. Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, leader in Israel, ruler, comes to Jesus and my little girl's sick. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you're a daddy and your little girl's sick, you're looking for somebody, you're looking for help. Jairus, I don't know what all his faith was, but he believed Jesus that day. My daughter's sick, you need to come help her. When they get there, she's already dead, right? She passed away. Everybody's weeping and wailing, and Jesus said, eh, no big deal, she ain't dead. Y'all go outside. They laughed at him. Jesus took her by the hand, told her to get up. She got up. And then Lazarus, they come to Jesus. Boy, your friend Lazarus, he's sick. Jesus waited on purpose for him to die. They put him in a tomb, been in there a couple, three days. Jesus comes back and says, roll that stone away, and the sister said, well, that's not a good idea. He's been in there a few days. We probably shouldn't open that thing. She said, just roll the stone away. They moved the stones. She said, Lazarus, come out of there. Guess what? He come walking out of there all wrapped up in them grave clothes. Listen, that's God. And Jesus said, just as the Father gives life, I can give life. We have life because God gave it to us. Them babies that are conceived, from the day they're conceived, God gives life. They're a baby. They're life. God gives life. It's his prerogative because he's God. But you know, there's more than physical life. And our greatest need isn't physical life, it's spiritual life. You see, the Bible says that 
To be separated from God is spiritual death. That's the definition of it. To be separated from our creator. What separates us from God? Sin. Our sin. Now we're all born sinners. We're born with a sin nature. Why? Because Adam sinned and he passed that down to us. Our sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin so that when we ask him to forgive us, he forgives our sin, removes it from our account, and places on us his righteousness. When Jesus saves us and makes us righteous, we're now acceptable before the Father, and he restores us to a right relationship with God the Father. Jesus gives physical life, and it's Jesus who gives spiritual life. When Jesus said to these guys, I have the same power as God gives life, so I can give life. Yeah, he was talking about physically, but predominantly he's talking about spiritually. You know, there isn't anybody, listen now, we'll look at the last point close. There isn't anybody else in the entire universe that can save a human soul but Jesus. Amen. He's it. He's the only one who can give us life. And I mean real life. Not just physical animation, but spiritual life. You know this if you're saved. You know how different your life has been from the day you got saved to now. Not just in the physical realm, but the quality of life, the value of life, the purpose of life, the comfort of life, the peace of life. All of that God gives us. You can't get that anywhere else. You can't get that in alcohol. You can't get that in drugs. You can't get that in immorality. You can't get that in partying and joy. You can't get that anywhere else in life but in Jesus. He's the only one. So Jesus said, I'm the same as the Father by nature. I'm the same as the Father by power. And finally, he said, I'm the same as the Father by authority. Look at verse 22. Matter of fact, let's read down to verse 30. Look at verse 22. For the Father judges no one, now get this, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Well, that's important. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Boy, the world needs to understand that, don't they? Man, if you're offended at Jesus, you're offended at the Father. That's a big deal. Verse 24. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, I hate to pause while I'm reading this, but think about that. Jesus is looking at these guys. They hate him. He sees their heart. They want to kill him. They want to murder him right there. And Jesus looks at them, and I know he, he said this with love and compassion. Look, whoever believes in the one who sent me and trusts me, man, you're going to have everlasting life. And you won't come under judgment. Look at verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who are here will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Pause in verse 27. Son of Man, you see that? You know where that term came from? And you know why they knew it meant the Messiah? Because that's exactly what I was saying. Daniel used it back in Daniel chapter 7. And the Jews took that and knew that that meant the Messiah, the one coming, the Son of Man who would rule. What did Jesus just say right there? I'm the Son of Man. Again, they had no excuse for missing what Jesus was saying. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, 
For the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear the voice, or hear his voice, and they'll come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. What an incredible passage. We don't have time to deal with all in detail. Let me give you just a couple of things real quick. Jesus was saying here, I am equal with the Father in authority. And let me just give you two ways he is. Number one, he said, God has given me the right to judge. The Father has given all judgment to me. Now, you ought to let that sink in for a minute. The one that hung on the cross and the one that gave himself to die for us and came out of the grave, he's now the judge. And he's the one everybody's going to stand in front of. Hey, the great white throne judgment one day, ain't going to be God the Father sitting up there. It's going to be God's son. It's going to be Jesus. These very men, listen, these very men who were standing there looking at Jesus with hatred in their heart and eventually leading to him being crucified are going to stand in front of him as their judge one day. Hmm. Might want to keep that in mind. If you're here today and you're not saved, you might want to think about that. This Jesus that you despise, this Jesus that you reject, he's the judge. In fact, what did Paul say to the church in Philippi? Chapter 2. That great passage. Now what he was saying is I want you to have a mind like Jesus, but then he ran with it. Right? He said this one who humbled himself and came and, you know, God the Father, he said, has given him a name above every name. Heaven on earth, below earth. And one day that what? Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. Jesus said to these guys, look, number one, if you believe the Father and the one he sent, you can be saved and have everlasting life. Not come into judgment. But, by the way, all judgment's given to the Son, which is me, Jesus said. So I'm going to judge. And Jesus even said there's two judgments, two resurrections. You see this? There's a resurrection unto life, and there's a resurrection unto judgment, condemnation. We who are saved are going to be resurrected to life. Now, we still have to stand in front of Jesus at the Bema seat and give an account for our life. Mm, it's kind of, you know, ooh. But at least no condemnation there. But those who are lost will be resurrected to judgment, events of the great white throne judgment. So here's the conclusion of the matter. These guys were mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. They were mad at the guy for carrying his mat. I'd say they're missing the big picture, wouldn't you? And to help them see the big picture, Jesus said, hey, just so you know, the Father and I are one, so you shouldn't be upset about this. It just made them more mad. just made them more mad. Let me conclude with this. It is interesting that the nature of man has not changed. Because if you talk to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't believe in being saved, and you use logic and truth, their response is to get angry and call you names. It becomes personal. Don't be surprised because that's what they did to Jesus. They understood what Jesus was saying. Their response was, now we're really going to kill you. We were going to kill you before, but now that you said you're God, we're really going to kill you. 
Listen, don't, don't be that way. If you're watching online, don't be that way. Jesus said, if you'll believe, he'll give you everlasting life. How long is everlasting life? Kind of in the name, right? Everlasting, eternal. And Jesus doesn't ever take it back. It's forever. So if you'll come to Jesus today, if you'll believe him, you say, oh, you know, you Christian. Listen, trust Jesus and he'll change the way you think. Trust Jesus and he'll change the way you feel. Trust Jesus. Would you do that today? Let's pray. God, thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you so clearly declared your deity. God, we believe you. Lord, we believe you. God, we believe all that you said. Lord, help us when our faith is weak. Help us, God, when our, when, when our understanding is weak. But God, we trust you. Lord, I pray for that man or woman, young person, boy or girl, who might come under the hearing of your word today, or maybe already has, that God, you would draw them and save them. Lord, touch them, convict them of sin. Lord, save them today. I pray today that someone will be saved. Lord, touch this invitation time in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. If I can pray with you or you have questions, come on the first verse. We won't embarrass you, I promise. You come, we'll help you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. service. If you have questions, you don't want to walk up here, I understand. Come find one of us. Come grab me or Bill. We would love to talk to you. If you're watching online and you say, boy, I have questions, would you email us? Just email us. We'll converse with you. We'll help you. Uh, I, get, I get stuff on Ask the Pastor all the time. And I, and I say again, I invite you to do that. If you have a question, you're not bugging me. It might take me a day or two to get the answer to you, but just send me the email and I will get back to you I promise. So if you have questions about Jesus, I like talking about Jesus. I like writing about Jesus. You ask me a question about Jesus, you got my attention all day long. So uh, don't, don't feel bad about doing that, okay? Hope you'll come back tonight. Listen, it's been several weeks since we were in our series on Joshua. Remember him? Yeah, Genesis. We're going to do some of that tonight, and it's really good. So I want to invite you back tonight, 6 o'clock. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this morning. God, thank you for your people. God, for the joy of being in the family and fellowshipping together. God, if there's someone, Lord, who, who needs to be saved, I pray you'd save them today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.